Hi, I'm Tracy Warren, general partner of Astarte Ventures, and Femtech to me is the opportunity to innovate for women's health and well-being. And we've made tremendous strides in the last eight years and really see a bright future for Femtech and all of our company and entrepreneurs. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and in today's episode, I interviewed Tracy Warren, the managing partner of Astarte Ventures. Astarte Ventures was formed by Tracy and her business partner, Tammy. The fund ran from 2013 to 2017, and it was the first early stage investment fund dedicated to enhancing the health and well-being of women and children. Tracy and Tammy actually couldn't fundraise the fund successfully. This is by no means a reflection on them as entrepreneurs or investors, because as you'll hear, they picked some rock star deals that are doing very well today. No, they actually raised it based on their own money, because in 2013, the bias of thinking women were a niche market and couldn't produce large returns was rampant. Tracy and Tammy took things into their own hands and made eight investments themselves without raising a large fund with outside investors. Their investments include Materna Medical, which just closed a $10 million round, Medora, which has raised over $4 million to date, Astarte Medical, which Tracy and Tammy now operate as CEO and CFO, Alidia Health, which was acquired by Merck for $240 million and initiated the Organon spinoff. And last but not least, Maven Clinic, which has just been valued at over a billion dollars and hasn't even exited yet. Needless to say, the returns of the fund will be very promising, and the data that comes from this portfolio success will be extremely valuable for the six other femtech funds in operation today to prove that our investments in women's health are not just impactful, but financially savvy. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Tracy, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Where are you? There's like pictures of babies behind you and stuff. Where are you? Yes. This is our global headquarters in Yardley, Pennsylvania. Um, and since we work uh, in neonatal intensive care and with preterm infants, we like pictures of babies to remind us why we come to work every day. I love it. Um, I recently visited the laboratory of BioMilk. They are making human breast milk in the laboratory Absolutely. and their lab is covered in pictures of women breastfeeding um, yes. very openly. I love it. Love yes. it. I always yes. say that if we ever have an office, we're going to have a giant clitoris sculpture in the front. Entry. Beautiful. As it should be. As it should be. Yes. Well, I am uh, very excited for this interview. Um, you know, we've recently gotten to know each other. And so um, well, some of our guests I know pretty well. And so I love it when we have a guest that I'm like, I'm learning right alongside our listeners. So right. uh, let's kick off with a little bit learning more about you. What's your background? You know, where are you from? Did you go to school? What did you study? Did you have a career before getting into women's health? Kind of bring us through the timeline. 
Sure. So I actually started, um, and this will come into many of my comments later. I grew up in a very small town in central Michigan and um, actually was in Lutheran uh, elementary and high school. My graduating class was 77 kids. So small town, um, very, I would say, religious, male dominated kind of culture. Um, and so I think about that. Um, I then decided to break out, went to NYU undergrad and loved New York, love current, um, and then uh, worked there in banking until uh, business school. And then I started in venture capital after I graduated Columbia. So kind of we're, went from the farm to the big city and have never looked back. Are you someone who was like the first in your family to go to college? Yes, very much so. Yeah. So. And was college like uh, something that you grew up knowing everyone said you had to go or were you kind of the odd one saying, I'm going to go move to the big city and go to college? Like, was that, you know, different from your peers? Yeah, for sure. I wanted to get out. So most of the kids I graduated with went to become pastors or teachers. Um, and that was definitely not my path. Mm -hmm. um, but actually, it's a funny story. I I don't know if you'll remember, you're quite young, but there was a movie called Working Girl and Melanie Griffith came to the big city and she was actually a secretary, but then kind of did this whole executive thing. Harrison Ford was in it, who was, you know, still, you know, super fabulous. Um, and so this whole story of like going to the big city and getting this job and being in sort of high finance was like my motivator. And um, so I was, I literally, when I was taking my ACT back in the day, I just scribbled in NYU because it said New York. I didn't, I'd never been here. I never did college visits back in those days and um, got my acceptance and I was in. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Um, yeah. Do you have siblings? I have a younger brother. Yes. Yeah. Did he go the uh, town route or the city route like you? He, he did, he did college and he's sort of popped all over, but he, um, yeah, he kind of went into business, um, as well. So I think my generation for our family, you know, most of us ended up going to college and getting our degree. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to dig in a little bit because I find so often our guests are people who have experienced, you know, um, either like trial and tribulation and, but they show resiliency, right. Or they were, they've lived in five countries before they were 10 or they, you right. know, their parents were multinational or this happened or that happened. And um, I always find it so interesting. I have a theory that most great founders have PTSD because mm -hmm. otherwise we would not choose this very unregulated, unpredictable <laughs> lifestyle. We love the chaos. Not that we, we love do. it, but there's something like familiar feels homey. I love it. You know, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was always being told I couldn't do something. So I told you in high school, like if you weren't going to be a pastor or teacher, you were a huge disappointment. If you were a girl right back then it was like girls can't do x and the x had unlimited numbers of things that we couldn't do and girls had to dress a certain way and women couldn't vote in the church and all of these crazy things that i think growing up is like it's surreal to think about now but i think it was just more of this early it's almost like the footloose story right like small town small thinking small minded um probably good people at their core, but just such simple beliefs that 
um, you know, women had a place and it was limited and it was a box and there were, you know, rubber walls that we were stuck in. And um, I just remember feeling so trapped. And so um, getting out was my number one goal from the time I was probably 10 or 11 to just get away from that environment. Um, and yeah, and New York and my travel sense, I love people and diversity and change and chaos. You're absolutely right. Like more of it, the same, you know, monotony. No, no, can't do it. Can't do it. You remind me so much of myself because I'm from a very small town in very northern New Jersey, which is like super country. And um, it's uh, it's really interesting to think that I have a career now talking about vulvas because right. it's not something <laughs> Sussex County was uh, setting me, you know, yep. like fairly like, oh, you should do this. So, yeah. Um, well, when did you start to get into women's health? So it sounds like you were more finance. You went to business school. When yep. did the women's health thing come up? So it actually, I, I have, I, I, when I look back, I had a very transactional career. So I started in banking where there's sort of like, it's very um, impersonal, right? There's numbers, there's a deal, you close the deal, you move to your next deal. And so um, then I got into venture capital because I was always curious, like what happens to the people around the deal? Cause you work so intensely for months on something. And then all of a sudden you never see each other again. So I thought VC, invest, watch these people. Um, and it wasn't until I sort of found myself as a partner of a venture fund running a healthcare practice. And I liked the work and I understood the technologies. But like when I would tell my friends about what I was doing or a deal I was working on, it was kind of like reporting as if it was somebody else's. You know, there was no, I was not invested in that way. Um, and so my co-founder and I, who've worked together 20 years, um, she and I sat around the table one time and we're like, let's just do our own thing. Like, let's do something we care about. And we're mothers and, you know, we've got very similar backgrounds of just wanting to make a difference. And that was where we said, look, health, we know health, we love health. We know it's a huge part of families and, and, you know, women are the backbone of the nation and the world. Um, and let's help make them healthier. And that was sort of how we got into investing is to take our skills, but apply them to something we actually cared about day in and day out. And that was Astarte Ventures? That's correct. Yeah. So in 2013, um, actually a little bit before that, we thought we would raise what we then thought would be the first um, women's and children's health dedicated fund. So we were thinking back then about a 50 to $75 million fund. Um, and the reality is we went out and talked to limited partners and strategics and women's health. People were divesting businesses. There weren't a lot of exits. Um, everybody agreed the dynamics and the market made sense, but the mechanics of financing, right? Companies that you've invested in that return money that sold to big companies, it was a very short list. And yeah. so um, we decided to do it ourselves, but I would say it was interesting to know that everybody believed in the thesis and the theme, um, but it came down to very check the box. I don't have a box for women's health in my allocation. I don't have this, that, and the other thing. And so there were some structural uh, issues in establishing women's health as a category. You know, it's interesting. I was actually just speaking at a, the stigma 
summit this morning on investing in femtech and it being stigmatized and taboo and blah blah blah. And um, I was asked, well, are, are, is Femtech finally like getting all everything it deserves? And like, obviously no. Um, but one <laughs> of the things I said was <clears throat> fem- women's health companies are getting to the finish line, but we're just not crossing it yet. And it sounds really similar to you where everyone's like, yeah, this seems really great. This seems important. This seems impactful. You have the right team. But when it comes to writing the check or we're, we're winning the competition or getting accepted into the program, there's just like, it just doesn't fit as nicely as the B2B <laughs> enterprise software company, you know, like yep. that has yep. recurring revenue, you know, or yep. something's always one thing that leaves the femtech company the second or third place, you know? Yeah. And I think part of that too is um, there's still this, um, comfort with what we know and what we've always seen. So what was always so surprising to me in venture capital, and I I still hold this to the day, right? They're innovators. They try new things. A fraction of people in venture capital, that's true. A fraction. The majority of them are FOMO followers, lemmings. Like there is a very small percentage of folks who really try new business models and new things. And so the problem is you've got to weed through all of that nonsense to get to find people who are really passionate and get this and who will take a chance that there aren't 16 other companies that do this. That's sort of the point. But the reality is, you know, VCs get so much attention as, you know, forward thinkers. There are some, but there are very few. And the rest are, in fact, they have to have a roadmap to 10 other people that have done it before. Tracy, we need to get a beer because... (laughs) I'm more of a vodka girl, but I'm happy to join you. Whatever, whatever you want. Like for real, like uh, I was a founder fundraising from investors after that company became a VC. And I finally started getting, you know, to the invite only tables, you know, where all the investors sit, where the founders are excluded. And I was sitting with the investors being like, wait, wait, y'all are in charge. Like you guys, y'all, you're the ones making these decisions. And that's really when I said, I'm, I'm a, I can have a fund. If oh, these sure. run a fund, I can run a fund, you know, yep. cause I've got some advice for founders that are way more poignant, uh, you know, than a lot of these investors. So yeah, we should totally hang out. True. Yeah. About this. Um, <laughs> what is a Starte? Is a Starte is something, uh, it's a name of something, right? Yeah. It's the name of a, a goddess. It's a derivation of a, of a goddess. And she has a bit of a provocative history which we learned in fundraising. And it's a funny story, so I'll tell you in a minute, but um, she's the goddess of love, fertility, and the defense of children. So she's a warrior, um, but very much about sexuality and family and, and you know, kind of this, um, you know, mother, essential mother type, but like mama bear mother, right? Um, and there's a beautiful picture of her on the Boston uh, Public Library ceiling. She's People tell me she's the one on the Starbucks cups too. So I don't know if that's true, but, um, but anyway, um, so we have always held out the Astarte brand as this sort of strong woman adversity. And we were pitching a group of angels, um, old white guys read uh, angels. And as we were leaving, one of them told us that Astarte um, was essentially a whore. I mean, he used a different word, but that's essentially like she's, you know, she's pretty much just the slut. And first of all, what are you doing sharing that information with us? But okay. 
But then we go and we certainly ran into someone at a, co a cocktail reception. We were relaying this story about how hideous this person was. And it turns out that for um, um, certain people in, um, in different parts of the world, she had this connotation of being this sort of vixen that was sort of provocative and, and sexually you know, promiscuous and all these other things. And so Tammy and I are like, okay, that's great. Like, that's fine. We are okay that she has sort of this embattled history, right? Um, but no, we, you know, we just, we see her as a strong visionary um, for us and for our, our themes and for the founders we back are, are really trying to, to build those kinds of, of women of strength and character huh. and dimension. Absolutely. I love it. Go Sarte. Yeah, you get it, girl. Um, <laughs> um, so you were struggling, you struggled to fundraise, but you said you and your found your co-founder said, you know what, let's just take it in our own hands. Can you yep. tell us some of the deals that you were seeing back in 2013, 2014? Yeah, and and I joke about this, but um we really had to look. I mean, there were, you know, there were some inbound deals, but there were nowhere near the forums and the events and the the you know, um, communities that have since been created. And I think that's a huge thing for entrepreneurs because before it was really word of mouth. Somebody, you know, folks knew Tammy and I were really dedicated to the space. And so we'd get, I'll call our generalist friends. And there were a lot of honestly, male venture capitalists who liked the space, but didn't feel they had expertise. And so when they'd see a deal that they liked, they'd refer them to us to kind of vet them. And then if we got comfortable you know, they could, you know, look at syndicating. So it was really word of mouth. And we were in, you know, incubators and accelerators and just, they were always in these cubicles, right? These weren't companies yet. These were great founders with vision and, and just passion that you could not bottle. Um, but we were literally meeting with them in, you know, group conference rooms and, and, you know, in, in the basement of hospitals and things like that. Like there really weren't, um, places to go find these companies at that time. Um, and so we ended up and we're pretty true to sort of healthcare. So devices, digital health solutions, where clinical care is part of the equation. Um, there doesn't always have to be sold to hospitals, but just in the clinical workflow. And so that's really where we found a lot of our deals was at women and children's hospitals or at, you know, enterprises where they had done, uh, you know, some kind of fellowship where they learned about some women's or children's issues. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really where we sourced our deals, but it was almost all word of mouth. Wow. This is so crazy. You're, I don't know if you'll be happy or like, sad, but like we have been due diligencing Coyote Ventures has been due diligencing femtech deals for maybe six weeks now. And we've already passed on about 75. Wow. We, that's amazing. That's yeah, great. Yeah. And we yeah, have like 10 awesome. in the pipeline, 20, like raising soon and every day, every single day, there's another that's deal. Wonderful. Yeah. Music to my ears. I will yeah. tell you, Brittany, because I think that was the toughest part is every entrepreneur we met with felt that she was alone or he was alone. Yeah. Um, it re the community did not exist. And it, it just, you know, this job isn't fun when there is a community, right? You have those dark days and those tough moments. And um, that was probably the, the, the greatest, I think, in the last, you know, eight to 10 years has been the communities that have come together. And there's strength in numbers for anything, right? It, it, it's great to have um, volume and momentum. I mean, it's on a small base, but it's still, it's still real. 
Um, so that's really exciting to hear your numbers. I think that's awesome. I want to, I want to ask you more about the differences then versus now, but real quickly, did the deals you saw, were they all the bikini deals, which is fertility and breast cancer or were they other stuff too? They were other. And it's interesting you say that because, um, we had looked at infertility early on as a category, just like anybody would just because of the sheer numbers and we met with some um, clinicians at, um, it was at Brigham and Women's Hospital. And when they finally described to us the science behind some of this and just some of the complexities and whatever, we just couldn't get comfortable. Um, it's huge market, I get it. But like really how everybody was gonna make money and who could block you from the market. The one thing I've learned in healthcare is if certain folks aren't, aren't on board and they don't make something in a net you know, zero sum way, um, they can be trouble, right? Especially clinically. So, so um, we looked at med devices for the most part and health tech. Um, mm-hmm. And that's really where we saw our opportunity. So a lot around labor and delivery, a fair amount, um, a lot around um, maternal health and prevention. We are big believers in prevention. But one of the themes we had in our fund was convenience. Like at the end of the day, and I don't know this exclusive to women, but we're really good at it the most convenient, effective solution, we're almost price insensitive to some of it, right? My time has value. And so, you know, Maven's a great example. If I can get on online and have a conversation with a, with a um, special specialist or a clinician or, you know, some kind of support staff in 15 minutes in my office, I will do that versus getting in my car, driving, et cetera, right? So, a lot of the plays we had were either medically necessary or really on this trend of convenience of healthcare where I want it on my terms. Would you also consider it um, accessibility? For sure, for sure. And this was, you know, now telehealth is great, but back then it was really, people were not sure like, you know, there's, oh, they have relationships with their doctors, whatever. I didn't, like I went and got my checkup, but giving up three hours of my day was, a. I mean, you put it off. The reason you put it off is because it takes so damn long, right? Yep. So yep. accessibility, um, flexibility, right? Yep. If I'm going to do it at seven o'clock at night, that's awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think all of that, I mean, I think one thing about the pandemic, it has shifted people's perspective in that way. Um, right. We realize we can do stuff from home that we don't, we don't have to commute to work. Right. Yep. There are a lot of things changing with people's perspectives, but but back then for us, it was much more about more moms were working, right? More women are juggling their parents, their relationships, their family. Like it, the time was the one thing they will never get more of, right? Yeah. So give them back time, make it accessible, make it efficient, um, but don't compromise on quality because the other thing ours, we're very loyal to things where we have good experiences, right? That's what the CPG companies have known that for years. Right. Women are great consumers. If you're good to them, they're good to you. So kind of embracing all of those trends. So what happened to uh, Astarte Ventures? Did you, you know, how many investments did you make and and did you start another fund or did you decide to do something else? Yeah. So we were actively investing. We made eight investments um, before our ninth, which was our final because it's what the company we're running now. But um, we, um, we invested for about three or four years. And then in 2016, found our way to a company that the fund founded called Astarte Medical. And that's our um, neonatal nutrition company um, where we are today. So we actually jumped 
Um, we couldn't find a company doing meeting this this really important market need, and we decided we wanted to do it ourselves. So since 2016, we've been on the operating side, which is great. Um, fundraising, so very much feel the pain of my uh, CEO uh, <laughs> investees. Um, and um, yeah, I think you know the passive portfolio continues to do well. We just had. Um, an exit announced. Um, we've got a couple of companies that have raised B and C rounds and are really doing quite well. So I think the portfolio is going to perform well as a pure play. Um, but these companies just take a long time. Yeah. Wow. So, um, you know, I've, I told you before, I want to say it on record, y'all. I've always said that portfolio was the OG, the original uh, <laughs> femtech fund. But then, you know, I met Tracy the other week and we started talking and she was telling her timeline and I was like, whoa, 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 2013, you're the original femtech fund, right? And yeah. So it's really, really cool. I, I love learning. I love correcting myself. So here it is back yeah. in the correcting it, but it's interesting. Um, the word femtech didn't even exist, uh, in 2013. Right. And in fact, you, I don't think you've even said the word, I'm not sure if you've even, I keep saying femtech, you keep saying women's health. Um, I I would love your opinion on what do you think about the word femtech? So, you know, it has sort of pros and cons and, but before I leave this, I want to say this, I'm an investor in portfolio. I think it's a phenomenal platform and I'm happy to share um, because from an LP perspective, they actually are, in my mind, and one of the first femtech funds that were raised. So happy to share kudos. We with do love Chris. We love Fox. Yes. We love, love everyone. Yes, big, big fan. Um, but to your question, so I think it helps in the sense that it um, it gives everyone a rally. It's it's catchy. People remember it, right? Femtech, etc. Get it? Just like fintech was, just like health tech is. So. It's good because it gives the category um, something people can reference. I think the challenge we have is a femtech investor may want to invest in consumer deals. A femtech investor may want to invest in enterprise deals. Um, And it gets challenging for fundraising, right? Because a femtech fund will need to then self-select categories, right? Whereas if you're a med device fund, you do devices, there's FDA, like, you know what that means. So I think part of the challenge with femtech is just, it's a big umbrella. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest challenges investors have with femtech as a category is business models. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think we talked about this the other night, like some people like software as a service. And if you're selling software as a service to men, women, chickens, they don't care. They understand the business model. And so a lot of investors are more about the, the, the process of investing and what they're comfortable with. So we do ourselves a bit of a disservice lumping a consumer facing app that's going to be clicks and ads and things with a med device that has to go through 510K and all calling it all femtech. It's, yeah. it's hard for investors. And we're asking them to believe in the category the same time we're like throwing all kinds of different things at them. So I say women's health, because to me, that means, as I said, there's like a clinical component to what we invest in and what we get excited about. Yeah. Um, but so it has good things, but it also, I think, when you're fundraising, you're better to be a med device company focused on a woman's issue rather than being a femtech company with a device. I actually 
I mean, I totally agree with all of that. And in fact, founders, if you're listening, I know you are, um, I've been seeing a lot of pitch decks lately that are, they're introducing their product, whether it be a, you know, um, sexual, you know, sex toy or a uh, med device or a diagnostic. And they all have a slide on the market size of femtech, how big the market of femtech is. And I'm, I'm like, oh, like I know, because a lot of times they're actually quoting me <laughs> because I'm like, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, but actually that's that the femtech market size is not the one you want to quote in your pitch deck because it encompasses feminine hygiene and, you know, like everything and like all, breast cancer, like everything. And that's yeah. what, you know, the message that I'm getting out, right, is the overarching. But in your pitch decks, y'all, don't say we're in the femtech thing because it's just too broad and mm-hmm. just critically think a little bit harder about that. For sure. But I, this is the thing too, I think from a credibility perspective that we, and look, founders, we've all made mistakes in our pitch decks and our positioning. Like it, it happens, but um, we... I think affect the credibility of the broader group if we don't stop. And big numbers are wonderful, but the minute they consider themselves, you know, investors see them as not credible, you've lost, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Like, so to your point exactly, it's about your, the people you're selling to, whether that's a patient or a consumer or whomever, enterprise, whatever. And yes, to your point, like, you don't have to tell people women, you know, femtech is a big market in your pitch, right? You're a company doing a component of what this great market is. Um, but I do, I think that's, you've highlighted one of the biggest disservices we do for ourselves is this category looks, got, you know, ginormous and it is, but it's not all your, any individual company's contribution and opportunity. Yep. And I mean, I, I'll, self-proclaim myself femtech queen, right? And yet our venture fund is called Coyote Ventures and it doesn't say femtech in the name and it doesn't say, honestly, our deck doesn't really include the word femtech. If it does, it's just because of the word femtech focus (laughs) as our part, right? But because even we know the further you go up in the investor hierarchy, the less and less they know what the heck is femtech, you know? And all fundraising is about y'all is spoon feeding investors to feel like they understand it and they feel competent, they feel confident, they feel excited, they feel like they could go home and tell a friend about it because it was easily articulated to them. So if a word femtech gets somebody caught up, I am the queen of femtech and I don't mind excluding it. (laughs) Go get the money. Go get the money. Great advice. You gotta do to get the money. (laughs) Um, Show them, don't tell them, right? Just show them, yeah. (laughs) Um, what are some other differences? So we just had this like really cool dialogue right now about femtech, the word, and what do you, what other differences are you seeing? Um, is it like different, uh, since 2013 to today, 2021, is there, what are some of the bigger, you know, changes that have happened in our industry? Well, so a couple of them, one is just the forums. I mean, you're a great example with, with the podcast and the community that, that you're creating, um, the funds having multiple femtech, Yep. type funds, right? Even though we all may have different strategies within that, that's fine. Med device deals can be different strategies. So I think that, you know, the, the volume is a huge part of this, right? Because again, it's hard to be sort of the lone wolf in a lot of this stuff. So if you can have that community and you have that shared knowledge and you can all share your mistakes and your learnings and your experiences, it moves the field forward faster than if it's one or two or a handful of groups. So 
I just think communities, the extra, the groups of funds, they can syndicate. That's awesome, right? As opposed to one trying to be, um, you know, recruiting generalist funds and things like that. I think the other thing is there are large companies now that understand femtech, which and, and women's health, which we do. Um, you know, even the I'll call it like the strategics, like the CVS of the world, realize that women and health are a huge component, right? Um, you've got Organon coming out of Merck that's stood up. It's, it's you know, spun out to be a woman's health company. Like these are big signs that you can now say, okay, public investors are investing in this company. It's real, right? So we've got a couple of groups that are, you know, considered, I think, thought leaders and innovators on the corporate side as well that have said this category matters to me. Yeah. Um, and that's a huge start, I think, to creating that funnel of, of acquisitions and partnerships and, you know, people helping you go to market and all of that. So I think that's going to help move things along faster. So exciting. Um, well, we have two last questions as we wrap okay. up that our listeners really love. The first one is we have a lot of aspiring femtech founders that listen. So what's an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? Um, so I'm a big proponent on, um, uh, I'll call it um, teenage health, like young women, right? So pre, hopefully they're thinking about kids, but like that, you know, coming of age, puberty to sort of that reproductive window. And I have two daughters um, that are teenagers and just the struggles. I mean, you know, it's all about birth control and it's all about STDs and whatever, but like maintaining their health, like their sexual health, their um, physical health, and being more thoughtful in that space. So it's not really pediatrics in my mind. It's it's sort of that teen preteen. I think there's just a lot of opportunity there. And those are the women that are then the buyers in 10, 20, 50 years from now. So helping them be more preventative, helping them get better educated about everything, their bodies, their health, all of it. Um, I think it's a really interesting area that folks haven't really spent a lot of time on. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree more. I love that. Um, and then our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? Well, I know people have said money, so I'm not going to say that. Um, I honestly think we need, um, it's kind of a corny answer. We need a little bit more time. I think there are some really good companies out there and um, momentum breeds momentum. And we've, we are seeing like good solid companies get real rounds of funding and, you know, they're entrepreneurs and founders being in the news and being featured and we need just more of it. We need more, more time, more exposure. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the likes of, uh, Melinda Gates and other people getting in and behind female founders, um, much of that will help femtech and other areas, but all of those big kind of, um, headlines, I think help us because people can't hide from it. Yep. Um, my goodness. Yeah. We, we're going to need to get together. <laughs> Anytime. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much for your time today and uh, really laying down the groundwork. Um, you know, it's been uh, really, you know, interesting that we've we've been on the fundraising uh, experience for not too long and we have a certain amount closed of our fund and, and to hear you say, you know, people just weren't doing it, you know, and so we had yeah. to just ourselves. It, it really speaks volumes to how far we've come. 
Yeah, well, congratulations, because more and more, we wish you all the continued success. Thank you. All right, take care. Thank you for listening to my interview with Tracy Warren, the managing partner of Astarte Ventures. Alrighty, Fem fans, be sure to give the show a five-star review and share it with a friend. Join our virtual community at femtechfocus.org and join the thousands of other Femtech founders, investors, and mentors advancing women's health. While in the virtual community, sign up to be a Fem Pro member for only $10 a month and get access to the Femtech Institute, which is a library of Femtech and startup lessons that are sure to help you advance your company and teach you more about the Femtech industry. Keep an eye out for our monthly Femtech Book Club, which happens the last Wednesday of every month. Subscribe to our newsletter. And last but not least, please consider setting up a recurring donation to Femtech Focus. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.